Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Foo followers everywhere around the world. Welcome to episode 25 of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast with your host, Ben Johnson. Thank you for joining me. Listen, you can keep up to date with the latest martial arts movie news, reviews, and also get your hands on free stuff by signing up to our newsletter. Simply go to kungfumovieguide.com, type in your email address, and become a registered Foo follower today. Thank you so much for taking the time to download and listen to this episode of the show. Here we go. Well, if you're really so determined to have a fight, then I'll oblige. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 25 of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast, season three. Thank you very much for listening. Glad that you could be here. Listen, we've got a great guest on today's show. Diana Lee Inosanto is on today's show, which is uh, a real treat. Bruce Lee's goddaughter and the daughter of um, Dan Inosanto, the legendary Filipino-American martial artist and uh, training buddy, sparring partner, teacher uh, of uh, the late, great Bruce Lee as well. Uh, Diana, of course, is a prolific stunt performer, uh, an actor and filmmaker in her own right, and she is also a martial arts instructor. And she's a bit of an activist as well. I don't know if you follow her already on Twitter or on Facebook. Um, she is very passionate about a number of causes, uh, which is uh, very encouraging and very good to see, uh, particularly at a time when, uh, you know, there's quite a lot to be uh, concerned about that's going on in the world. We have a nice conversation about all of that, but also she shares some memories of uh, growing up uh, with Bruce Lee and knowing Bruce Lee and also talks uh, about her dad and the Lee family uh, and her experiences working in Hollywood as well. So it's a great conversation. Thank you very much for downloading and listening. I hope you enjoy that. That's going to be coming up in a moment or two. Uh, before that, a little plug for our newsletter again, uh, because if you are based in North America, we have three copies of the latest Blu-ray release from Walgo USA. Uh, the film is called The Thousand Faces of Dungia. It is a sort of uh, fantasy wuxia creature feature directed by uh, Yen Wuping and produced and written by Choi Hark. Walgo USA have very kindly offered us uh, three Blu-ray copies to give away. But yes, it is, uh, it is only for uh, North American Foo followers. So if you are based in North America and you'd like uh, a copy of uh, The Thousand Faces of Dungeer on Blu-ray, sign up to our newsletter uh, and we will announce the competition details in the March newsletter, which is going to be sent on the 25th of March so head over to kungfumovieguide.com right now to sign up and be in with a chance of winning a copy of that film on Blu-ray 
Also, with regards to the podcast, uh, I got some really nice feedback from people on our previous episode with Ty Mock. A lot of people were very happy to hear from Ty Mock again and, you know, hear about, uh, you know, a lot of the projects that he's working on and, uh, you know, his passion for the martial arts as well, which um, which is great to see. If you did miss that episode, then don't worry. You can catch up with every episode of the show via iTunes. Uh, subscribe now, leave a star rating or a comment and help us to attract even more Foo followers to the show. Uh, other podcast providers are available, of course course you may be using one of those right now if you are however you are uh, accessing this podcast thank you so much uh, again for listening and supporting the show also if you do want to get in touch with the show it's really simple to do so just send an email to hello at kungfumovieguide.com okay listen enough of all that thank you so much for downloading and listening to this episode of the show I'm going to throw over now to Los Angeles and my conversation with the wonderful Diana Lee Inosanto. There's so much ground to cover here, so uh, I hope we can get through it all. You go to a lot of marches and you're very engaged in what's going on uh, politically and sort of what's happening in the world. So are you a bit of an activist, would you say, Diana? Uh, Absolutely, absolutely. But that's kind of a a family tradition. A lot of people don't know, but my grandparents, my my father's mother and father were uh, uh, political activists. And in their day, they uh, fought for the rights of farm workers. My grandfather was a Cesar Chavez in his day, about 20 to 30 years early than before Cesar Chavez arrived on the scene. And uh, he actually helped form one of the first uh, unions, actually, in the state of California. So my my grandfather was actually considered quite uh, a Filipino-American hero. You know that was the role model my 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 father had, and a lot of people don't know that side of the Inosanto history. Do you think that if your grandparents could see where we're at today in today's society, what would their take be on the, the way the world is right now? Oh well, that's a, that's a great question. You know, it's interesting because my grandparents, uh, when I was younger, used to tell me all these stories, and their whole thing was, if you don't know history. The problem is, is history can repeat itself. Yeah. And and they're right. And I'm seeing things in my own country now that I, I that just stunned me, that my grandparents warned me about, that you always have to remember that things can come back around, circle back around, and you have to remember to fight. Yeah. And you have to remember to stand up for what is right. This is purely from me being based in the UK. I don't live out in America, but, um, you know, I uh, read the news and do. it does seem like America's as divided as, as it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Do you, I mean, does yeah. it does it feel like that? Uh, at, at the oh, uh, yes, it yeah. has. And it's been quite um, painful. I, I have to go back to my godfather's teachings and my dad's teachings about Uh, being citizens of earth like I was just at the last women's march and it was the most empowering thing to to be among all these people and to to lock arms and 
and and say you know enough is enough you're involved in the film industry and you're a teacher out there as well you you do carry a lot of influence is that important do you think that more you know if you've got a certain celebrity that it's good that you use those powers to try and encourage people and hopefully change things Oh, absolutely. For anybody that has a, a platform, even if it's some, uh, you know, a business leader within their own company, um, I, help, I think role modeling, setting a standard always helps. A lot of people don't know this, but my godfather, when he was alive, he was actually unhappy with a lot of the politics in martial arts. And, and he was particularly unhappy because, you know, sometimes he would teach certain uh, groups and they would take his material and claim it as their own. And he's like, wait a minute. I guess he sensed that maybe women might be wired a little bit differently. But he asked of my father, because he had to go to Hong Kong, he goes, I want you to start a woman's group. So my dad did. He opened up a uh, at the YMCA uh, in San Pedro, California. He had a woman's group. But a lot of people don't realize that my godfather was a huge activist for women getting into martials because it was just unheard of back then. <laughs> Obviously, it's dominated the headlines and, and will continue to do so, uh, the Me Too campaign and what's been happening in Hollywood. Um, I'm just mm-hmm. interested because you know that world and you uh, have worked in it for, for so long. Was this just part and parcel of what it was like being a woman trying to work in this industry? Well, let me tell you, I think the Internet has helped connect a lot of women because I can tell you back Years ago, when I was first starting out in the industry, there were women that would speak out about it. Yeah. But a lot of times people were, would quickly just distance themselves because they were afraid if they did anything, it could cost them their jobs. Yeah. So if you dared even stand up for yourself, you, you knew that you could be blacklisted and you're done, you know, and, and word could get around like, oh, she's a troublemaker and she's making up things. And so I used to see this quite a bit. And, and, and I will say I've been sexually harassed, you know, on the set myself where people were terribly inappropriate. And really, is I, that something that's you have sort of firsthand experience of that then? Do you? Oh, yeah, I was 18. I was a young girl, you know, fresh out of high school. So I had never I well, I had before there have been other instances of things that have happened too. But, you know, in a, in a professional setting, I had never had that experience. I did not know what to do until somehow it came out who my father was. And then you, well, you <laughs> I'll never forget this room just went quiet. Just yeah. everybody just, you know, all these guys just shut up. And, and then all of a sudden they shifted gears and started behaving themselves. Isn't that awful so, though, that it had to be through that connection that then that would is. influence their behavior. Oh, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it truly is, because I know of women who have gone on auditions and all of a sudden they were attacked by the casting director. Um, I know of women who were told to go to the penthouse of the upper floor. And this is before the, the, the Screen Actors Guild and the union started buckling down on where auditions took place. And there were certain stars that have attacked some of my uh, friends out there and I wish I could say their names because it's not up to me. It yeah. has to be up to the victim to do this legally. Yeah. But you know, I cannot tell you some of the, uh, there's some pretty big stars right now that are out there and people don't have any clue that they've actually sexually harassed or inappropriately tried grabbing a woman and throwing them down. And it's just, 
it's just horrible. So yeah. it's the it's the, it's still not over yet. And that seems mad that they were doing auditions in hotels anyway. That just seems so. That seems oh. like such a strange thing. But. Well, if you have a, a producer coming in from New York and he's got a hotel room in yeah. Los Angeles or vice versa, that's how it's it's it ends yeah. up happening. And and you're and of course if you're a famous actress and you're hearing you know I'll make up a name Joe Bob you know who's yeah. a famous writer just had a meeting with Weinstein up in this room. They're just assuming they're they're gonna you know it's it's protocol you know it, all the the other male associates have been doing business deals and you know they're just assuming they're walking into the same situation would you say that that level of prejudice is more apparent in the film industry or in the martial arts industry because you you have experience in both and they're both very male dominated worlds i just wondered is there a correlation in 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 those two things well actually it's a, it's a you know i'm really glad you're bringing up uh, that point uh Yes, there is prejudice some towards women sometimes in the martial arts world. Um, I will say women have come very far. It it depends because to me now the martial arts world since the time I was a little girl has broken up and splintered into so many different groups. There's martial arts for the military, right? There's martial arts you know used for the entertainment field, like the stunt world, UFC as well. There's some and yeah. UFC. It took yeah, yeah. a while for women to get engaged in there and sometimes women have to really put up and kind of take their hits verbally, you know, from sometimes this male dominated area. What do you see as the ultimate result of this? Surely the the thing that has to change ultimately is it's the power imbalance, isn't it? It's the fact that, you know, the people at the heads of these studios making all of these decisions are predominantly white men isn't it it's a big sort of boys club how is it going to change if it's still you know the same heads of the studios making all the the decisions well the good thing is it is already starting to change i'm sure you heard uh the academy recently made changes to the demographics of their voting uh body sure so before it used to be predominantly these old white men that had been in Hollywood for a long time yeah. that, you know, and, and nobody was ever able to get in. Now they've, they, they've definitely opened up the channels here for women, people of color. The unions have become way more involved now. Um, you know, going back to even Anita Hill, that event was so important because that's initially when the union started becoming more active about you know, uh, making sure that auditions were done in a neutral area yeah. and not in. And that's why people are saying, why did they wait so long? And I go, well, that's because it, it happened right around that time period. Had Anita Hill not came, it, it had Anita Hill not come along, uh, I, I think you still would have seen problems like this just persistently going on over and over. Yeah. Um, but that's, but it still does happen. It's just, it's lessened, but but nonetheless, you know, uh, procedurally, people have been making steps to to uh, make improvements. Function hi. You can't fool me this time. I want revenge. I won't go until I've killed you. Obviously, your father is uh, the legend that is Dan Inosanto. Um, how how's he doing anyway? How's uh, uh, do, do you still you, Daddy, you still see him quite a bit? Daddy is doing good, Ben. Good. Yes. <laughs> Dad is doing great. Uh, I just saw him a couple of days ago. We had lunch and he's doing great. He's 81 years old 81. and he's wow. not and he's not slowing down. He works out every day and then he teaches on the weekends and 
I, I stopped keeping up with him because every weekend he's either out of state or out of country. Sure. And, and, uh, you know, in some cases he's booked two, three, maybe four years in advance. Wow. And, yeah, he he does not ever want to slow down. Yeah, I think he feels that if he slows down, that would begin to be the beginning of the end for him. Sure, <laughs> sure. So well, he's uh, always been so active in his whole life as well. I guess I don't know. Would he know how to slow down? <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. I, I can remember waking up in the middle of the night. It would be like two or three in the morning, and uh, he's watching like our. God, I think it's the David Letterman show, sure. and he's just on his trampoline, the little mini trampolines, jogging in the living room. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, it's like I'm exercising. You know? <laughs> when Dan Inosanto is your dad, there's probably uh, you know little alternative. You're you're going to study the martial arts or get get into the martial arts in in some regard, or or maybe I'm maybe I'm projecting there. Maybe it was very encouraging to be like Dana. Whatever you want to do, we totally support that. No, in the beginning, my dad at the time, <laughs> he will disagree with me. I remember something different. He, he did pull back a little bit when I became a teenager and thought, okay, fine. If she wants to be a cheerleader, fine. fine. But, <laughs> but, but as a kid, though, no, he, he actually um, would throw me in sometimes in the classes. So I would be like the, this little girl with these men training, you know. Because there weren't martial arts schools like the way they have them now. No. And, and he also just said, I want you to know your culture. I, he goes, I want you to know your heritage. And also, too, I worry that one day when you grow up, if I'm not with you, I, I want you to know something so you can protect yourself. So I was raised by really great, I call it the symbolic village, um, you know, because they say it takes a village to raise a child. Yep. Well, that village was made up of a lot of male energy. So contrary to what, you know, some people think out there of the martial arts world, that I was very lucky that I was around amazing men, extraordinary men who who were very patient with me. And they would, you know, from Chris Kent, uh, Dave Lear, Jeff Amata, the Lukais, everybody, yeah. I, Uncle Richard Bastilio, Larry Hardsell. I mean, and it didn't always feel sometimes like I was training. It, they made it fun. And obviously, Bruce Lee, of course, uh, <laughs> who we should probably mm -hmm. talk about. Um, so uh, <laughs> he died when you were when you were quite young. So I, I don't know if okay. you do you have. I mean, do you have memories of him? You must have been. How old were you when he died? You must. Have been I was. Six I was seven? actually uh, seven years old. Yeah. Um, um, Brandon and I were one year apart, and yes, I, I definitely remember him. Uh, very vividly, but the but it's interesting. My my experience with Uncle Bruce was like that. Like he was definitely a family member, yeah. and uh, it was always very um, just very family oriented, very warm. You know, our families would get together, eat together, go get Chinese food together. Yeah. We would go to their house. He would come to our house and work out with Dad. Um, sometimes my mother would get annoyed because they would make a mess because they were always like hitting wooden boards and just <laughs> right. like clean up this mess. Yeah, you know. <laughs> well, your dad taught Bruce Lee how to use the nunchucks. That's that's right, isn't it? Yes, yes, yes he did. Um, and not a lot of people know that. <laughs> no, not a lot of people know that because uh, traditionally that is normally, uh, I believe, a Okinawan weapon, right. and 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 so. Uh, and although I will say Uncle Bruce thought it looked great 
for the movies, but in in actuality, he did not think it's it, you know was a good weapon in real life. Sure. He thought uh, it would be a little bit more. You're better off with a stick. Yeah. Um, and there were other things that my my father was able to influence uh, Uncle Bruce. A lot of time, a lot of people don't know this, and you know when Uncle Bruce first came to. The, the, you know, to the United States, he came over wearing, you know, working out usually more in the traditional Kung Fu, you know, clothing, yeah. you know, but my father having been a football player yeah. uh, and also being a PE teacher was able to introduce, you know, a lot of equipment so they could spar because you have to remember before, uh, you know, martial arts equipment became the thing that, that what we see today in sports stores, uh, it was bare knuckles. You did everything yeah. bare knuckles, and it was rugged. <laughs> you know, yeah. my dad and I were talking about his days when he was w- with Harry Slamansky when my dad was a military man. And when you sparred, it wasn't like light tap 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 light light. I mean, it, it's sometimes people got knocked out. Yeah. You know, and uh, it was it was far more aggressive form of. Training. That was the training back. I mean, they weren't training to, as you say, win any gold medals or anything. This was self-defense and they were, right. you know, that was their approach to it, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And, and very military oriented. And um, so, you know, my father would talk about his time with Henry. And then later on, um, he had heard about Ed Parker uh, Sr., and he liked the Kempo Karate because it had a mixture of different influences as well. And then, of course, you know, Ed really was the man that connected my my father with, yeah. with, you know, Uncle Bruce. I'm just wondering how much of an influence your dad must have had in the development of Jeet Kune Do. Because there were so many, you know, suddenly Bruce Lee's getting exposed to, you know, what your dad's t- telling him about. Bruce Lee had his Wing Chun uh, background as well. What was your dad's part in, in the development of that? I was discussing earlier is that, you know, sports equipment, uh, my father applied like a lot of the, the football equipment, baseball equipment, tennis shoes. Yeah. You had never seen that before yeah. in martial arts. And they did it so that way they could, you know, study and spar more and work different movements. And they were like two scientists. They really approached this uh, uh, methodically and they would study different styles and different systems and my dad would sit there taking notes I remember you know them uh, my dad had this one notebook and it was them uh, studying and analyzing Pinjat Salat um, yeah. my my uh, what was really cool about Uncle Bruce is he made my dad aware of French savate most people today still don't know what French savate yeah. is but Uncle Bruce sure as heck knew what it was and he loved the the front leg um, he also uh, they were examining, uh, you know, Muay Thai, what people say, Thai boxing, you know, and he loved, you know, the round kick. So it was quite extraordinary, you know, what they were doing back then because, you know, it was completely taboo to mix any form of martial yeah. arts, boxing, wrestling. It was just unheard of, yeah. you know. Um, they knew uh, Wally J, small circle jiu-jitsu, so he was studying that, Um he was good friends with June Ree, and June will tell you how um, they would discuss different kicking methods within the Korean martial arts. The way my father will talk about is is that it's important to evolve. Yeah, you know, and the way he would put it to me when I was younger, you know, he would say, you know, it's sort of like in the old days, you know, when people were first first playing basketball in its infancy and they were doing like the granny throws yeah he goes now look what michael jordan's doing and kobe and all these guys you know 
that's what martial arts should be is you're evolving yeah. um, and, and trying to find also and understand, you know, what's what's best for you as, as an individual. Yeah. Because what might be good for you, Ben, may not be good for me as yeah. a woman, you know, because I'm structurally built differently. It was about really removing any restrictions and, and getting out of these, you know, hardline styles and forms and saying, this is the way it's, it's got to be. And you have to hit just like this and punch just like that, you yeah. know, because in combat, it's, it, it's, it's so intuitive. You yeah. have to be ready for anything. <laughs> He did end up in that legendary um, nunchucks fight scene in uh, Game of Death, which is fantastic. Um, But your dad didn't make a lot of movies, so I just wondered, uh, that was a conscious decision? Did he not want to necessarily pursue that? Yeah, you know, it's funny. As a little girl, I remember I was was 11 years old, and I looked at my dad, because he once in a while would get pulled in to do some sort of stunt work, you know, where they needed his expertise on something. But I would say, you know, Dad, how come you didn't pursue a movie career? How come you don't want this? And he goes, you know, honey, the problem is, is, and, you know, he says, is Marsh, you know, the movie, Hollywood is a backstabbing business. And I don't want that for my life. I enjoy teaching. This is my calling. And, um, and then as far as, you know, the reasons why Uncle Bruce got into movie making, you know, according to Dad is, he saw it as a potential to express himself and his philosophy. So, like, if you look at the famous fight scene with Chuck Norris, a lot of people don't realize is, you know, that whole scene, if you, you, you really examine it, it's about evolving because he had to change his game up against Chuck and kind of discover it, you know, discover this as his character yeah. against Chuck's character. So he really looked at it at almost the way probably people look at how they can express certain points of view on the Internet. Hmm. And then, you know, back then, the closest thing to that was movies and TV. Do you remember when he died? I do. Yeah. I do. Um, That was uh, a horrible day, uh, a horrible week. Uh, It was around the, you know, close to around my time and my dad's birthday. And it was just god awful. Um, my, My mother and I found out before my dad did. I think my dad at that time was, uh, teaching summer school or something like that and my dad came home and um i remember when my mother had to share with him what what happened and um and you know they went into another room and then he just came blasting out through the doors and was on the phone right away because he he did not want to believe it and he couldn't believe it and so he was calling different people and then he i believe he got a hold of you know linda and he just once he hung up, he just broke down in tears. It was the first time ever that I saw my father uh, cry, wow. and it was shocking for me. And I was I was scared too, um, because I've always known my dad to be this strong kind of guy. And to see my father now crying, I, I, I it just it I just felt so bad for him, and 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 I'm just horrified, you know. Were so. you because you knew the Lee family quite well and and still do obviously so um, yeah I guess you were you were just around there just being supportive as a, as a family I guess in uh, in the aftermath of that I mean, yeah, yeah my parents went on as a ch- um, my parents well, I was very close to Brandon yeah um, Brandon was you have to remember um, I'm a biracial woman and you know race race relations back then were still pretty tough yeah. um, you know my like. 
in Brandon was one of the few biracial children that I knew. And so he made my world so much easier. I, I just felt like, oh, somebody like me. And so uh, being around Brandon growing up was one of the greatest highlights of my childhood. And um, and so my grand, my my parents had to go on to Seattle where, uh, to meet up with uh, Linda. And so that's where they had the um, funeral there. Yeah. I, my parents felt it was best that I stay back and be with my grandparents in Stockton which I was a little mad about. I was pretty <laughs> upset about that. But, um, you know, it, it was the way it was. And then later on, uh, when Linda decided to move back to California, we got in a car and we were helping Linda and Brandon and Shannon find a new home in, in the Palos Verdes area. Wow. So, and um, I mean, just over those years, I mean, obviously, Bruce Lee is still as influential today as he was when he was alive. You know, it's some 40 odd years, 45 years or something. Being so close to the Lee family and them having to deal with the aftermath of that. And I guess it's sort of giving up ownership of their father in a way, because they must see two sides to, to him being, yes, he is this um legends that everyone um you know uh, looks up to and talks about um and the celebrity side but he was also you know he was a father and a, and a husband as well so um that must have been interesting for them to and i guess to this day to try and come to terms with that yeah um you know you know from what i remember is just linda was so committed that they have as normal a childhood as possible yeah do you know what i mean um, and my father's school, which was in Torrance, and it was called the, you know, um, the Kali Academy at the time um, in Torrance, you know, she would once in a while bring Brandon to the academy so he could train. Um, but for the most part, she was just determined to make sure that it was easygoing and that they didn't have to deal with the, the limelight. You know, she really wanted them to just... Um, you know, just find their own path. And so yeah. Brandon discovered that he loved acting, you yeah. know, and he became student, I think it was student body president or class president, although he got in trouble because uh, he was so politically active as a high schooler. He talked the entire school not to go to school. and He got right. in trouble. <laughs> and so they're like, you know, Mr. Lee, maybe you should, uh, you know, I think we're going to have to suspend you. And so uh, I think he, he just said, you know what, I'll just, I, I, you know, he, I think he got a certificate or something of completion and just went on to, you know, college to just go ahead and, you know, um, follow his dream of being an actor. And yeah. for the longest time, he wasn't interested in, uh, you know, being a martial arts star by any means. And then somebody said, you know, that you could just settle for being an action star. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I think the way that the way that was put, he goes, okay, maybe I can, I can deal with that. Yeah. You know. So, See, and- that's such a tragedy as well. I mean, it's. Um- yeah, and it's and it's it's so sad because you're totally right. It's like he'd 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 sort of established himself there as an action star, but he'd you know getting a role like The Crow, which was so different and really showed off his his acting abilities there. Um, he would have gone on to do do amazing things, wouldn't he? Oh, I I really think he would have gone on to do The Matrix. I really do, sure, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and I know he had other projects. I think he was I think he was uh, slated maybe to do Speed Racer. I mean, there was there were a couple of projects he was up for. He had like five projects that he was supposed to do. So, um, 
yeah, it, it's a it's a real tragedy. And um, you know, I know so much attention is put on, you know, uh, his father, but Brandon, in his own right, was such a special human being. He was funny. He, I mean, seriously, he was funny. Yeah. Uh, Natural you can comedian. see that, and he's got a cheeky uh, way about him. As yeah. You can see in the interviews, you know, he's yeah. uh, that was that's what he was like. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, thoughtful, intelligent, uh, truly amazing. Um, didn't hold back if he felt something was wrong, um, and he he knew when to pick his battles and when to just wait. And he, he just was so amazing. There was just um, he's just you know I can't say enough. You know yeah. and. I always get a little emotional talking about Brandon because obviously I was closer to him. As yep. his, you know, it's part of my childhood, and yeah. um, and um, I just always want people to remember Brandon as well. Yeah. You know? um, Shannon's doing great work there with the Bruce Lee Foundation, Linda as well. Sorry, as well. Um, in in yeah, uh, continuing, uh, you know, continuing the philosophy of Bruce Lee and um, you know his teachings and the disciplines and that sort of thing. You must be quite proud with how she's managing all of that. I am because it's not it's not easy. This no. is a male dominated industry. Yeah. This is not easy. And the hard part, you know, uh, you know, I think for both. Brandon and Shannon is, you know, Shannon kind of came into this more later in life. Yeah. I mean, even though she was around like, okay, so she's around her father's material, but to actually be around the martial arts world is a different experience and culture. Like every day I was around the, my dad's academy. So there's like these little nuances you pick up, you know, yeah. you know, and Shannon had to kind of jump into this really when she became a woman and, and, and she's doing She's doing great, and she's you know holding it you know uh, all together and flying back and forth between here and China and God knows where. Yeah. She did a uh, I think a TED speech uh, a couple years back. Um, we did some things when we were celebrating what would have been Uncle Bruce's. I think it would have been his seventy fifth birthday. Yeah. So she had me come up and uh, you know, Linda was there and give a speech. And you know it's uh, not easy what she's doing. No. You know. So, uh, you know, she's always got my love and support. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. My superior kung fu will finish you off. Were you always, eventually you were thinking, oh, I would actually quite like to, to step into to, to the film industry. Was that always on the cards? Well, actually, uh, some people may not know this, but my dad's sister was an actress. Right. Uh, 
So she had us, you know, some bit roles here and there. So she gave me a love of the craft. In fact, Brandon used to train with her when he was a child. Okay. And she would guide me on who to study with, you know, when I got older. So I studied with a few people for, out of Broadway. One of them was Michael Shortlive. Um, I, God, I was studying the checkoff method from a, a woman named Lisa Dalton. Um, later so you on, were, you were serious about it, then you were you were going into oh yeah, classes. yeah, okay, oh yeah, very serious about my craft. Yeah, because you, know, you know my father just said when you study something, really try to go to the sure. top people. But the problem was is um, there weren't a lot of roles for my type for biracial women back then. Today it's great, but back then it was just horrible yeah and i saw on i saw on imdb that you were in moonlighting is that is that right yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how i got my sag card yeah but it was kind of funny i i i just it just wasn't working out for me and um which was really disappointing because i remember like we would go i would go on an audition and they would have that one little well you know, the uh, token role was what we would used to say, where they audition all the Asian, Blacks, and Hispanics all against each other. And, you know, for this tiny four-line role, you know, it was just wow. ridiculous. So, but what really uh, opened my world up was really the stunt world yeah. because because of my martial arts ability. Um, and I was a single mom around that time. And um, I, I people were saying, you know martial arts. you Because I, I remember I ended up... There was one time, I, I think I took some time off from college, and I ended up working on, a, oh gosh, it was um, film with Sly Stallone and Wesley Snipes. What the heck was it? Demolition Man. Demolition Man, yes. Yeah, and I was seeing a fight scene. They were all my dad's guys that I've seen at the academy. Yeah. And they're like, you should get into this. And I'm like, yeah, I should. You know? <laughs> I can do all this. Yeah. And uh, I did. I got a break. Uh, and by that time, uh, my 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 then fiance, my husband, Ron Balicki, uh, we were training partners and we ended up, um, I, I, what was, I think it was the producers to barbed wire. I know it wasn't a great movie, but they, they had seen me move and they're like, you know, and they changed this role from a male, uh, a male guard to a female guard. And so that was kind of my way back into the business. Yeah. And then, um, somebody said, Hey, there's this show about this teenage girl who likes to kill vampires. Yeah. Uh, I think it's called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I'm like, really? Then like, yeah, they need a stunt double and someone to do all her fight scenes. And yeah. I'm like, okay, I'll go over there. <laughs> when you were in that world, were you like, uh, oh, I'm determined to try and get uh, more lines, more meteor roles. I want to try and get supporting roles, lead role. Like, were you were you thinking like that, or were you, were you were you quite content in within the stunt world at that time? Um, you know, I was always hoping to do yeah. the acting thing. It's just that I was working way more as a stunt woman and a yeah. stunt actress, and I was still in the union. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was, in fact, some of my acting friends were all saying, can I get in? You know, because they weren't working. Sure. You know, there just wasn't the work there. But as a stunt woman, I mean, oh my gosh, I had to turn down work yeah. because I was just, you know, I was, I was just too much at one point. And, and, and also too, you have to remember, I, you know, I was also the mother um, of an autistic child. Yeah. And so it was very important to, to keep, you know, keep going, keep working, make those benefits, you know, make sure I can take care of my child. But then that's where I got the bug about maybe being a filmmaker. Yeah. And I'm thinking I'm working the the best of the best in Hollywood. I mean, I'm working with John Woo and seeing Chris Columbus. I'm, yeah. I'm 
seen the best of the best of producers and directors. And I'm, I would just, when I wasn't um, up, you know, I would just sit on the side and just watch these people, how they did the business, how I would ask questions. So that became my my film school yeah. was, was work. You, so you said barbed wire there. I've got a, some other titles. Escape from LA, Face Off, yes, with jo- John Woo, Blaze, Wild Wild West, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I mean, these are, these are big projects. I'm just wondering, was there, who, who really impressed you? Well, really, it's the directors that impress me the most, or yeah. the producers, but particularly the directors because they have to hold the ship together. Yeah. Um, I loved working with John Woo on Face Off. Yeah. He... It was the first time I actually had a director that when I would do a stunt, he literally, and and to and with everybody else, he would always make sure that we were okay. And I appreciate a filmmaker that understands what stunt people go through because sometimes there's a little joke that sometimes we're like the stepchildren of Hollywood. Right. <laughs> it's a weird thing, yet you know, action films that genre, it's the number one genre oh, in gosh, the world. The market. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you look at the summer blockbuster list. All those tentpole movies are all the big Marvel films. They're they're action movies. And, oh uh, yeah. yeah, the stunt community is it's the huge. meat of 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 action films. Yeah. and so yet sometimes you know they're they they could be treated. Mis- mm. I don't want to say mistreated, but just kind of just treated differently. And I'm just kind of going, this is ridiculous, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, but I loved how John Wu got it. And maybe it's because he was a Hong Kong man and he understood Hong Kong stuntmen. So he, he, he gets the sacrifices that men and women are making on set because they're putting the bodies on the line yeah. sometimes. And they're getting, you know, they're, it's like being a football player and a ballerina yeah. in one. Because yeah. you have to be tough to take the hits, but you also have to understand choreography and timing. Yeah. Um, so it's, were you it's, ever you, know, you weren't ever injured or anything, Diana? Anything? Oh no, I've been injured. Oh yeah, oh, really? I've been injured. But no, yeah, and um, I did this one high fall when I was working on on Buffy. Um, it was actually for the presentation, and um, it just it was kind of tough on my back. And um, yeah. but it was more like ligaments, and I I didn't think I could stand up straight for the next like I think it took me like three months before I could really stand tall. Oh, dear. Um, but you just, you know, you have to just get, you constantly stay in shape. You have to constantly, know, you know, know and understand what are the greatest, you know, uh, supplements and how to eat right. I mean, because you are like a professional athlete when yeah. you're a stunt person. Yeah. You really are. I want to touch on also, you've you've trained actors as well for, for, for yeah. movies. Um, you trained Aaron Eckhart for, uh, was it I, Frankenstein? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, oh, and yeah. also Melissa McCarthy for Spy, yeah. which is, I love that movie. It's so funny. Yeah. Um, that's a different discipline to when you're teaching I actual martial arts. I love doing that. Yeah. I love doing that. Um, both my husband and I have taught different stars, like Mila Jovovich for Resident Evil. Yeah. He put a lot of time with Mila, but... Uh, yeah, Melissa. I also trained uh, recently uh, Rosa Salazar for Alita Battle Angel, which is coming out with James Cameron and uh, Robert Rodriguez. So I spent a lot of time with her. Uh, I also uh, train um, both my husband and I, Kat McNamara. I don't know if you watch the show Shadowhunters. So it's kind of cool being a, a seafood to the stars, you yeah. know. And uh, Melissa, Melissa killed me. I mean, not literally, but obviously. But I mean... We would start doing this fight scene, and she would throw a joke out there, and oh my gosh, she made it so difficult. Yeah, she's just so funny. She's really know? good in that, like in the in the in the action as well. I mean, it's a very fun movie that one, isn't it? 
Well, yeah, she's got natural ability, and yeah. I knew she would. Um, it, you know, the, I was hired because of an amazing stunt coordinator named J.J. Perry. Yes. And so they were, in, they shot the project in Hungary, but they and they knew what they wanted as far as a fight scene. But Melissa was here in L.A., so they sent me the fight scene, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to get her up to speed because I I learned that it was like the first. It was going to be the first scene up. I'm like, yeah. oh my god! <laughs> and then I'm getting her agent calling me, like, can you can you make her look good? I'm like, I hope so. I had to work with her, and I was literally trying to study, you know, her background, like what other sports she might have done. Because what I try to do is I take what I call the Dr. Bob Ward method. Um, Dr. Bob Ward was the conditioning sports coach for the Dallas Cowboys. Sure. And so what I learn, I what I try to do with each each uh, person that I train, particularly a celebrity, is what is what was their history as far as movement? So were they dancers? Uh, were they football players? Um, and in Melissa's case, she was a tennis player and she had a cheerleading background through muscle yeah. memory. I knew I can awaken those same muscles and then kind of convert them into martial arts. Yeah. And it was much easier for me to get her quickly to remember the fight scene yeah. and, and, and almost let her associate more like with tennis, if that makes sense. Sure, and some sure. cheerleading. And it, it worked beautiful. And thank God for Dr. Bob War because you know it, it was his principles that I, I use as a as a teacher. If yeah. I have to really train somebody and get them up to speed real quickly, yeah. You know, with Aaron, we had about six months, but with Melissa, I think I only had like less than a month. And that's not a long time. Wow. And that was a very long fight scene. And and you're talking weaponry. Yeah. Well, in this case, it was a butcher knife and a pan, but still, it's yeah. still a weapon <laughs> technically. And uh, you know, I, all I was thinking is I gotta make sure she's ready for JJ and the guys. You know, <laughs> so. It's impossible. How can you last this long? <laughs> Don't you know? We're horse trainers. You did mention there. Yes, you you've you've worked on your own projects as well as a producer. You run your own production company. You've written films, uh, directed as well. I just want to touch on the sensei because I did see the sensei. It was a great movie. Uh, oh, thank you. It's it very felt... traditional indie film. Yeah, <laughs> but you um, obviously because you know you're starring in the movie. You've you've written it, directed it, produced it. It felt very. Uh, personal and a lot of the subjects that you tackled in there as well um, you know very big uh, topics so I just wondered what was the motivation behind that movie well um, if you've read the dialogue you can know um, contrary to the movie uh, it actually was completed after my godfather died and the man that actually helped put all his notes together was a man by the name of Gil Johnson yeah who was uh, a very dear friend of our family. And um, in the 80s, he had um, contracted the AIDS virus. Yeah. And I was so saddened by this. And um, at that time, I started understanding and seeing the kind of prejudice that was happening toward people from the gay community and even, you know, uh, heterosexual um, families that... um, where for whatever reason through a mishap in the hospital system where they contracted the AIDS virus and um that I never forgot that and it seems like everything went quiet about Gil nobody wanted to 
talk about this. We should say the story is set in it's it's a sort of small town America environment, isn't it? And right um, in the 1980s. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's set at the height of the AIDS epidemic, and it's 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 not your traditional martial arts film setup because you've you've swapped the traditional gender roles of the the sensei is your, yourself, right. a woman, right. and then you've put a gay teenager at the heart of the story as well, which is yeah. non-martial arts traditions oh, yeah. as well. So I got a lot of flack for that too. I got a lot of praise for it. I mean, yeah. I ended up going to Washington, D.C. and getting an award by all these Congress people, which was amazing, you know. Yeah. But, but, I, but in the beginning, it was very hard because people were angry. They were like, you know, um, and and it was, and part of our fine, you know, our financing had fell through the ground, you know, just just disappeared, um, and so we, it took me a year to make to finish that film, just yeah. production wise. Was that because of the subject matter they weren't willing to invest in in it? Then is that yeah, the reason? they were hoping like I was going to do more of a Cynthia Rothrock yeah. on Wilson type of film? I'm like, no, that's not who I am. Yeah. I, there are more deeper things happening in our community. And I think this is one of the last frontiers of prejudice we had to look at. I mean, and really the, the sense is an examination of the different ways prejudice can yeah. can look and manifest. Yeah, through reli- and then, religion, through racism, yeah. yes, through... But um, it's a constant theme of, you know, how do we do, do deal with the nature of hate and, and bigotry and, you know, how do we rise above it? But, yeah, there were some people, without even seeing it, they're like, you know, the, you know so I had this one death threat. I mean, they were... Whoa. I literally... I was, and with the internet was still new in its infancy, so it's not like I, I, I was going. Well, who can I call to even make a report back then? You know, and there was nobody. You know, so it was kind of funny. I, I had this one friend named Spice Williams who was in the movie, and there was like a huge campaign of people like attacking the person that was threatening our family. It was kind of funny, but it was kind of touching, but but real at the same time. And you know, because I realized I was hitting a very sensitive subject, and and this is before the Hate Crimes Bill Act was signed. This was before gay marriage was, you know, uh, yeah. allowed. And and here I am. Yeah. I know we got to look at this, people. Yeah. And I, I stuck to my my guns about this. You know, yeah. before I knew it, I mean, I was meeting incredible incredible leaders like John Lewis, who were who marched with Martin Luther King, and he said, "I heard about your film and." Um, Ted Kennedy and Gordon Smith, they had a website at the time that was endorsing the film. And I ended up uh, getting receiving the American Courage Award yeah. in Washington, D.C. I mean, you don't get, not many filmmakers uh, can say that, that their film is then, uh, yeah, <laughs> they want to. I mean, I'm getting this award, yeah. I'm looking down at the people in the eyes, I'm like, oh, I know who you are. Yeah. I know who you are. You did this. this like, I mean, it was just, it was so surreal. Yeah. And I, and I remember getting the phone call initially from Washington D.C. and I thought it was a joke. I'm so, like, yeah, right, sure, you know. They're like, no, 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 we 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 really are calling from Washington D.C. and we we really want you to be there and receive this. And we're like, yeah, right. And, you know, yeah. I, it took me like uh, 24 hours to figure out. Oh my God, these guys are for real. <laughs> so, wow. But um, wow. it's been an amazing journey, and yeah. uh, and and I have no regrets doing the sensei. I mean, it because it opened all kinds of other doors. I meant so many movers and shakers and people policy makers and people that are really trying to do uh, great things in our world and yeah. that's why i still have as much as we were talking about the state of the affairs in our world i always still have hope you know yeah. that there's some great people both contrary to what people think both republican and democrat yeah. and um you know, like many people don't realize that the uh, the hate crimes bill act w- was really championed um 
by name by a man named Gordon Smith, who was um, a senator out of Oregon. And he was a Republican, but he lost his son to suicide. And he wanted to understand why would his young son, who's in high school, commit suicide. And that's when he started learning about the high suicide rate among gay teenagers. And and he's like, this has got to stop. This is crazy. Yeah. And I've got to find a way to make some sense of what happened with his death. And so he connected with Ted Kennedy and Judy Shepard, which is Matthew Shepard's mom. And then they um, they started putting out there the Hate Crimes Bill Act. And then when Obama came into power, he, he signed the act. And now it's law. It's fascinating to think that in such a short space of time, I mean, the sensei is 10 years ago, roughly? Yeah, uh, yeah, it was really, yeah. And oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know, yeah. yeah, I don't know what's happened to the last 10 years. But if you think what's happened, you know, to LGBT rights in, in within the short space of 10 years, I mean, you watch the sensei now and and some of it is, you know, you it's shocking, isn't it? Uh, I know it's set in the 80s, but it's still shocking to to see it. We've come so far in such a short space of time there. It's uh, it's quite remarkable, isn't it? It is remarkable. Yeah. And, and there's still a long ways to go, yeah. but especially in other countries. Just off the back of that and winning, you know, going off to Washington, D.C. and getting this humanitarian award, uh, would you um, would you consider a career in politics? You know, it's so funny. Uh, I've had people ask that of me. I I don't I don't know yet. I, I you know, I, I just feel there's I, I, I could see myself pushing other people that I think would be great leaders. I, I, I don't know yet. I, I've thought about that, though. Yeah, I mean, you have, you know, you have considered it. I have considered it. Yeah. Um, but it's it's uh, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And um, I, I'm kind of right now just trying to focus on just raising my family. I got my 14-year-old son, and, and I have my adult autistic son, who's now 28. Yeah. And, you know, there's so much I'm trying to um, you know, established for him and his future. So when my time on earth is done, I know that he's taken care of. Yeah. Um, There's a real lack of a, awareness around autism in, in particular, and which is strange because it does affect so many people, doesn't it? Yeah, well, when my son was diagnosed, it was one out of 20,000. Today, it is, at least in my country, on average, one out of 65. That's scary. That's wow. an epidemic. Wow, and so and I, now there are different levels to it. Yeah. There's a wide spectrum to autism, but for those that aren't able to function and get a job, I mean, ninety percent of uh, the special needs community is unemployed, and they want to be a part of something. Yeah, and so I'm hoping that down the road, maybe I can do something positive with my land and at least employ people to to work under me from the special needs community, and, yeah. I'm, and that's actually what I'm working on right now. <laughs> Hey, don't be tricked by him. He's got iron feet. You're uh, producing again. You've got another project in the pipeline. Is there? Can you? Yeah, I'm still pinching myself. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm teaming up with uh, (laughs) the most amazing producer, Mark Borden, and another producer named Matt Jackson. And um, you probably are familiar with Mark Gordon's work because he was Steven Spielberg's producing partner too for Saving Private Ryan. Sure, just Criminal Minds, Grey's Anatomy. He just did Murder on the Orient Express. So that Mark Gordon. Okay. (laughs) And then, uh, and Matt Jackson, who is in his own right an extraordinary uh, producer, and Joanne Lee, and my uh, my uh, Ron is part of this. Um, my producing partner Tara Kiteman is also a part of this. I found this amazing writer named Jeremy Go, um, who could translate 
you know, what I was telling, cause I've been working on a book about my father's life and, um, and Jeremy, um, was able to be such a fantastic, uh, Oh, hold on. I'm sorry. My dog Einstein's looking at me like, no, 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 sit down. Einstein. That's but fine. Jer- get back to Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy go is this amazing screenwriter and he was really able to, to do this incredible job and he's good at writing period pieces, which is not necessarily an easy task yeah. and making relevant to today's time and age. And, um, but, so yeah, uh, we're producing this movie about my father and when he worked with the Dallas Cowboys. So that's going to be the subject matter then. That was in the mid to late seventies, wasn't it? Your dad was recruited yeah. into. Was it true like, story? Yeah. First to introduce the NFL, the martial arts to the NFL, and it was because of Doctor Bob Ward, who is this genius sports scientist, uh, conditioning coach that was um, recruited by the Cowboys. Uh, under uh, coach head coach Tom Landry, and this is when Mike Dicka was also still working with the Dallas Cowboys, and uh, it was a controversial um, proposal, but they're like, all right, we'll we'll see what this can do. And you know, Tom Landry to me was was completely what I call the JKD man of the NFL sure. because he he thought he used to th- you know he would think outside the box, and I think that's why the Cowboys were so magnificent for that time period. Yeah. He wasn't afraid. To try new things, and so uh, Dr. Bob Ward brought in my father, and Randy White became sort of the main guinea pig, so to speak, uh, to really embrace this experiment uh, experiment of applying martial arts to football. And pretty soon, the rest of the Doomsday defense, you know, got on board, and yeah. and some of the offense too trained, but mainly for for the the deep for playing defense. It, martial arts makes complete sense yeah and and also too dr bob ward understood that concussions he understood this way ahead before anybody else did yeah and he said martial arts uh, martial arts could play a key into preventing concussions because a lot of times football players will lead with their head he's like no pass the energy pass the energy like we like, like how we learn in martial arts and so uh he brought my dad in and Originally, he, my dad was supposed to train them in Wing Chun, but it's so – Wing Chun takes a little bit more time. And when you're working with football players at a, a camp, you don't have that much time because they're, they're training other things and other sure. plays. So he actually had to um, train them in what they call hubud, uh, which is a, a form of like hand play or martial arts hand play, but it's Filipino martial arts. Yeah. And Randy, this became his bread and butter for him. You know, when they went – uh, the following season to play. I mean, Randy and the Cowboys made it to the Super Bowl, and Randy ended up becoming MVP. And it's just this extraordinary story. Wow! And 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 it changed everything. It changed the course of history because all these other teams started catching on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and it's a lot of times some of the plays that are still used are the martial arts techniques that are still used. People think it's football, but it really comes back from all the way to my dad wow. teaching in Filipino martial arts. How far along that process are you? I mean, it's, you know, it takes a, a while to, to get all the building blocks in place, but I mean, are you, you've, you've got a script there and do you have casting in mind or whereabouts are you? Yeah, but I, you know, Mark, or I'm kind of soldiering at this point because he is the black belt of producing. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to be the humble white belt and learn. Sure. <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, I'm honored to be a producer on this, but, you know, I'm also learning because this is a whole different level of, of being a filmmaker for yeah. me you know I, yeah. I'm used to being an indie filmmaker and this is something where our, it's more on a 
a studio level. Yeah. We haven't gotten to casting yet. I mean, we all, I think, have our some ideas, but, you know, that's hard to say at this point. Sure. I mean, I think right now what will be next is looking for a director. That's going to be the first thing. Yeah. And uh, so I'm excited about all of this. Wow. And I'm just kind of taking it one day at a time and I'm pinching myself. And, you know, I'm sure you and I can follow up later on about this. Yeah, you know? absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Shannon's of it. She's got into producing as well recently, hasn't she? With, uh, yes, she is. Yeah. Yes, she yeah. is. There, uh, well, she's working with Justin Lin and I'm pretty excited for them. You yeah. know, I, I, it's based on some stories that Uncle Bruce wrote. And I, I think it's wonderful. Yeah. I, I think it's fantastic. Diana, thank you so much for, for talking to me. Thank you, Ben. I really appreciate it. Yes, yes, yes. Awesome. There we go. Diana Leona Santo there. That was wonderful to speak to her. Um, and that project there about her dad and his work with the Dallas Cowboys in the 1970s helping them to go on and win the Super Bowl. It really is a, a fascinating story. If you, if you don't know about uh, Dan Santos' work with Dr. Bob Ward, it's very uh, interesting. It's worth going online and reading up uh, a little bit more about that. Uh, and also, yeah, some pretty big names associated with the Hollywood movie version of that story. So, very excited to see how that pans out. You can keep up to date with the latest Diana Lee and Asanto news um, by following her on Twitter. Her Twitter handle is at D underscore Lee underscore Inasanto. Um, so go ahead and do that. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this episode of the show. Thank you to George Dennis for his ongoing technical support. And thank you again to you for listening to this episode of the show you can follow us on facebook on twitter and on instagram and i will be back in two weeks time with another episode of the kung fu movie guide podcast until then wrap up warm particularly if you're in london we've got this uh, cold spell and set in again uh, so do uh, wrap up warm uh, wherever you are uh, take care and i will see you again in two weeks time thank you so much for listening to the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. All the best. Bye for now. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.